Welcome to TTM Cast One on One with Jeff Baker. Every Wednesday, we'll bring one on one interviews with hobby professionals, former athletes, authors, and collectors. Sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. And by sportscollectorsdaily.com. If it happens in the hobby, you'll find it on sportscollectorsdaily.com. Here's our host, Jeff Baker, with this week's interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to TTM Cast One on One. It is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, and this is our first show of TTM Cast One on One. My name is Jeff Baker. I'll be your host for the show today. We are not joined by Drew Pelto. Drew, Drew is not with us today, but we're going to do a little one-on-one, one-on-one. Uh, first, let's see what's uh, leaning off in, in first up and leading off. Smart collectors turn to Sports Collectors Daily to stay up to date. From new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block, news from inside the business of sports collectibles, and much more, Sports Collectors Daily has it, all with no subscription cost. SC Daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on eBay for every sport. Sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like. With 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years, there is always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com. Well, you know what? We lost um, one of the great T-Tammers and one of the, the true uh, gentlemen of baseball. We lost Sal Bando the other day. Uh, Sal was a guest of mine on season three, episode 15, way back in April of 2021. Make sure you go back and listen to my interview with Sal. Sal was a, a gentleman. He was a captain of uh, three World Series champion Oakland A's teams and was a, a member of the Milwaukee Brewers he signed with as a free agent, and he was a, a great ambassador to baseball uh, and, and a fine, fine player. We are sorry to lose Mr. Bando, but make sure you check out my season three, episode 15. It is the April 11th, 9, 2021 episode of TCM Cast for my interview with Sal Bando. Ready? This file, guys, this one is, oh my God, I, I can't believe this thing happened. Oh my gosh, sorry. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this thing happened, right? We're talking about uh, the fiasco and more, another, more tr- troubles for Panini. Uh, Panini National Treasures, if you haven't heard, there was a one-of-one one Babe Ruth uh, cut card that was inserted into the, the offerings, National Treasures. I think they go for about $530 for a box. Well, somebody in New Jersey, a gentleman named Matt in New Jersey, bought a box of National Treasures from his local card store, opened it up, and got the Babe Ruth card. He was all excited. He opened the, the, the booklet up, looked at the card and the the cut autograph and guess what panini put in an autograph of george brett can you believe it i don't know how this happened uh drew and i will talk about it on the podcast on saturday but uh it's just amazing that something of high that's as high level as a babe ruth autograph a 101 could make it through qc with a george brett autograph inserted into it with uh, for a babe ruth autograph so unfathomable not sure how it happened tops has had their problems now panini's having their problems panini has uh said that they are going to take care of it rectify the problem immediately we will uh, talk about it more on saturday but just amazing uh and never a dull moment in our hobby uh in cooperstown yesterday 
Scott Rowland got elected to the Hall of Fame, third baseman from the St. Louis Cardinals, and among, among other teams, Philadelphia Phillies. He uh, was, uh, I don't know, six, six seven-time All-Star, Gold Glove winner. Um, there's only 10 third basemen in the Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland is now one of them. Um, you know, he, he he went from having, I don't know, 15% to all the way up to the seven over 75% needed to get elected. He got, he got elected in uh, this time. So he's going to be elected along with Fred McGriff who got uh, elected uh, during the winter meetings. He got inducted in the uh, elected in the winter meetings uh, and Fred McGriff. I don't know if you saw they he signed a deal with TriStar. So he's going to be signing autographs through TriStar. Scott Rowland, I don't believe is much of a TTM or so we'll have to watch to see the, uh, how that plays out. But I want to congratulate uh, Scott Rowland for getting in and also Fred McGriff. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I purchased a, an Upper Deck Series 1 2022-23 Hockey Blaster Box from Walmart uh, the other day. And I was pleasantly surprised. I hadn't bought uh, Upper Deck cards in a couple of years. And it was very kind of cool. I got a Blaster Box. No, I didn't get any autographs. I got uh, two Young Gun cards, which was really neat. I got a, a, a David Pasternak card. I got uh, three, three or four Bruins cards, which which is cool. So I'm going to see if I can send some of those off to get signed. But um, I'm going to give it two thumbs up for Upper Deck Series One, uh, 2022-23 uh, hockey. The blaster box is like twenty four dollars, I think, at at Fox at um, Walmart, and I give that a thumbs up. A couple other things I just want to mention. Um, if you're heading to the Card Vault show, the autograph show this weekend at Fo at Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut, let me know. They have all sorts of great guests signing uh, this weekend. Uh, Doug Flutie, Jerry Cheevers, Johnny Busick, a bunch of other guys. Uh, so it uh, should be a good show. I can't get down there, but if you're going, let, let me know. I'd love to get uh, some report and, and find out how great the card show uh, went. The, it's the Card Vault show at the Foxwoods uh, Casino in Connecticut couple other things. My article on Les Wolf, our, our correspondent and friend Les Wolf, uh, has finally appeared. It is in Sports Collective's Digest this month. Make sure you check it out. It's in the printed version and it will be on in on the online version as well. So I want to thank Les for, for sitting down with me uh, for a couple of interviews and hopefully shine some light on Les. We share some stories about Mickey Mantle and Muhammad Ali. Uh, so hopefully enjoy my article on Les Wolf and Sports Collective's Digest this month. Also, ready? Round of applause. Round of applause, guys. Round of applause. Our friend and co-host, Drew Pelto, has a, a nice article in Sports Collectors Daily. It just got just posted yesterday, or today, actually. It looks back at his 20 years of collecting TCM. Drew did a great job. A lot, tons of pictures in this article. Make sure you check it out. It's Drew Pelto's article. I'll look back at 20 years of collecting in Sports Collectors Daily now. It's live now, ready to go. Well, I think that wraps up all uh, the little lead lead off. Just some uh, news information that I want to let people know about things that we will be talking about uh, on Saturday's show. Um, this week's interview is uh, going to be with Ryan. St I'm going to kill it. Stuckninky, Stite, no Stuninky. Studinsky, sorry, Ryan Studinsky. I'm going to get this right. This week's interview was with Brian Studinsky. Sorry, Ryan. Ryan is founder of GemRate.com, and GemRate follows uh, statistics from the four leading grading companies, including PSA, SGC, CSG, and Beckett. So we're going to talk to Ryan about um, grading and trends in, in grading and collecting 
And it's really interesting that uh, GemRate's been around since December of 2020, I believe. And uh, it was really fun to talk to Ryan about um, GemRate. So please enjoy my interview with Ryan Stuzinski. Stuzinski. I'm going to get it right, Ryan. I promise. I'm, I apologize. But first, here's uh, a message from our friends at CSG. This week's interview is brought to you by Certified Sports Guarantee, csgcards.com for superior sports card certification and grading. 2022 was a great year for CSG. They graded iconic cards, including a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle that sold for $1.25 million at auction, reviewed more than 1 million cards in less than two years, and they're only getting started. Take advantage of the CSG difference with grading fees 20% off through January. CSG has incredible turnaround times and state-of-the-art holders. Starting at just $12 a card, visit csgcards.com today to experience the difference. Save $10 off a yearly membership to CSG with code TTMCAST. Get your favorite cards into the industry's best holder for even less. Save $10 off your membership with code TTMCAST at csgcards.com. Thank you. Joining the show from his offices in Brooklyn is Ryan Stuzinski. Ryan is founder and chief bottle washer. He does everything for GemRate.com. GemRate.com, of course, is the uh, the best site in terms of getting statistics from grading companies. And I just want to welcome Ryan. We're going to talk a little grading and talk a little about his site. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on the show. No problem. Ryan, you must have been sitting there and like the light bulb came off when you said, I get an idea for a, for a site that <laughs> that people need. Is that what really happened? Yeah, you know, it just was born out of frustration, really. I was sort of just, you know, I was jumping back in the hobby back in 2020 and trying to figure out what was going on, you know, what was sort of the what the landscape looked like and uh, just running into walls as far as like, oh, where can I get this data? And yeah, so it just um, it was really hard to sort of collect the data and then actually combine it to sort of make something useful of it. And so Gemrate sort of was from born from that and the idea that there's just a lot of friction and especially as it relates to like the population data. So yeah, that was uh, something I was really excited about because I just, when I was looking for the information in sort of a, you know, consolidated format, it was really hard to come by. And I thought Gemrate could do that. And as a part of it, we started doing these reports now that a lot of the, the market's been reacting to and that we've been publishing for a little over a year and a half now. Yeah, Ryan's uh, website is gemrate.com. We use uh, his statistics all the time, Ryan. It's an invaluable, so I want to thank you uh, on well, on behalf of a, a content producer. Ryan's <laughs> site gets um, statistics, grading statistics from the four leading companies: PSA, CSG, SGC, and Beckett. And he produces uh, a, it's a, every day, right? We have new data yep. every day, yep. and he produces a, a monthly report. You can follow him on. Uh, all the social media, it's, it's, it's a great reporter. I recommend you guys following uh, germrate.com. Uh, were the grading companies pretty easy to uh, convince to, to supply the data to you? You know, honestly, I think they were a little skeptical at first just because there hadn't been, you know, this information had been, hadn't been published. And, you know, they've been, they've been pretty uh, closed off as it relates to just like, you know, making data public and sort of, you know, just how people access the data. So I think there was some skepticism around just, you know, what was I hoping to accomplish? And I think when people realized I was just trying to bring more transparent, transparency to the market, really just shed some light on kind of macro trends as far as, you know, who, who's do, you know, what grading companies are seeing, what kind of activity, where is sort of the trends within that? Um, how does it look sort of over, you know, a, a many months time? 
uh, there was definitely like, I don't want to say resistance, but just kind of curiosity and sort of, uh, you know, people that were sort of watching and eyeing and sort of um, interested, but not totally knowing what I, what I was going to do with the data. I think as people sort of saw, okay, this is sort of a, you know, smaller operation. And again, he's got good intentions. I think people were more open to the the idea of it. But I, don't know, I think initially there was probably just a, a sort of a lukewarm, like, okay, we'll, we'll give him a shot, but we don't really know sort of what's going to come of this. And I think now that we've seen, you know, over the last year and a half, the market sort of react more favorably. And I do think people do trust the data that we're pub publishing, which is great. That was the goal. Um, I think a lot of people definitely understand sort of what our goals and missions mission has been over the last year and a half and, and definitely appreciate what we're doing now. Well, I think all the four companies would like it because they get to see not how they're doing against the, the their competition. And obviously, PSA is the, the 7,000 pound gorilla in the market. Um, what it, What is their market share now? But I, last I read was like 75%. Is that true? Yeah, it's about 75%. And it you know carries through both sports and, and TCG at this stage. And um, you know, CSGs really come come up in the last year or so in terms of uh, of having market share. And uh, Beckett's kind of lost some market share. Do, do you attribute that to any reason? You know, it's interesting. I mean, they definitely have lost share. And the funny thing is, if you look at the you know the report that we published at the beginning of January, you know, they Beckett definitely got a lot of pushback on just you know, wow, they really uh, you know missed their moment when the market was moving. And you know, the reality is, they actually still had. A, you know, a decent year. And the fact that they grew, when we look at some of the numbers that we have, their data was up year over year. Um, but relative to the rest of the market, you know, they were just a laggard. And so I think, you know, they've just been getting their ducks in a row. They've had a lot of operational challenges. They've had a lot of turnover and changes. And I think they definitely, you know, are, are playing catch up where, you know, you've had somebody like PSA who sort of jumped on this sort of right away when the market started to pick up, you know, you know, hired a ton of people across all, you know, the different uh, functions in their business. You have new and emerging players like CSG that have really taken advantage of. And, and SGC has also sort of found their their role within this market. I think at the same time, you know, Beckett was sort of just sitting by the side, sort of, you know, really just recalibrating, but not at a pace that the market sort of was requiring of them. And as a result, they definitely have lost some share. And, you know, they're still doing well in, in certain parts of the market. If you look yeah. at our data a little bit deeper, you know, the, people really react to the sort of high level, oh, their volume's down, but they still get a lot of high profile cards. There's still a lot of really loyal um, you know, fans of Beckett, but yeah, as a whole, they definitely have sort of dipped as it relates to market share and sort of their penetration, just sort of the, the fandom that they have in the hobby. Has, uh, is CSG the beneficiary of, um, PSA really basically closing their doors for, for a year, year and a half. Do you think they're the ones that, that have benefited the most from, from, uh, the shift in the market? I definitely, I mean, they definitely saw a huge ramp in, uh, volume when PSA was shut down, as PSA started to reopen service levels, you know, their, their, their uh, momentum has, you know, it's pulled back quite a bit, whereas like CGC, for example, has still held on to a lot of their momentum. Um, SGC is also really, you know, they, they benefit a lot. I think SGC's held on to the momentum a little bit better, but yeah, CSG benefited, SGC benefited. Those were two, the two primary beneficiaries for sure. Um, I think the thing is CSG is still trying to, you know, they're, the market is still trying to figure out what to do with them as it relates to, you know, the the secondary value and, and, and you know, what you're just seeing sort of, um, you know, on the auction sites and sort of, you know, people are still figuring out what to make of it and sort yeah. of, but I mean, the reality is they made a really big change at the beginning of last year, two big changes that have really helped sort of people take them even more serious, which was, you know, recalibrating their grading scale uh, and also 
just reconsidering sort of the design of the label, which was something that was pretty polarizing. And both those things are now behind them. And so you never hear sort of that feedback anymore, which was sort of the big sticking point of why people wouldn't try them. So I do think you get a lot more people now who are willing or sort of interested in what CSG is doing. I think they just want to see the pricing and the market sort of reflect what people perceive to be pretty good slabs and pretty good value there. And so I think there's good momentum there, but they're still sort of kind of finding their way now that PSA is sort of you know, put the pressure on pricing again, right? Pricing yep. was one of the big levers that was sort of really beneficial to them. And now, you know, PSA is getting closer and closer to the bottom as it relates to, you know, just like how low can they get on pricing? And so that's definitely impacted CSG in particular, but, you know, they still have a pretty strong presence, especially given where, you know, obviously that they're still newer in the market. Just now, if you, if you were sitting, you're a collector and you're sitting back and you're kind of vacillating, should I get my cards graded? Should I not get my cards graded? I think now's the time in terms of, uh, you know, all the grading companies, the major grading companies are, are meeting their deadlines, you know, the 30 or 45 day deadlines, and they've, they've dropped their prices. I don't think there's been a better time in, the, in to get a card graded for, as a collector. Would you agree? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's what, you know, I think we've all been waiting for the market to sort of, you know, uh, correct itself and just have an opportunity to, you know, uh, send some of these cards in that we've been holding on to and sort of just, you know, I think I'm I'm a big sort of uh, advocate for just I, I'm not specifically loyal to one grading company. You know, I think there's um, use cases for all of them and sort of different parts of my collection that I'll send to different companies. Uh, I, I don't I don't think I'm the majority by any means in that sense, but I definitely think they they have different strengths. And so I think there's an opportunity now that pricing is sort of reset to just evaluate the different companies, think about how they might fit into your sort of collecting habits. Uh, now I'm excited. What I'm most excited about this year is. Now that pricing is sort of not behind us, but you know, companies now you see something like an SGC who's doing creative stuff with certain sets where they'll run a promotion, or you know, you've seen Beckett get more aggressive with pricing. Um, you know, everybody's sort of trying to think about what they can do from a pricing standpoint, but the reality is, you know, pricing's gotten much more affordable. And so now I'm excited to see sort of like what happens beyond that. Are there sort of creative ways that these companies will work to sort of enhance collecting beyond sort of just resale value and sort of one, getting it in the door cheap getting it back to you quickly and then two letting you know and then three sort of allowing you to turn that card around or sort of flip it into you know into cash and it's more of how can we sort of remove friction throughout the rest of the experience or sort of just do things to help you sort of showcase your collection collection and so I'm excited for sort of like the evolution to move beyond sort of pricing and what we've seen over the last couple of years you know as it relates to like the operation side of the business and more around like you know the things that the grading companies can do to innovate to sort of enhance what you're doing in the hobby as opposed to just sort of you know, allowing you to sort of maximize the return on your on your collection at any given moment. Right. I mean, basically, they're everyone's doing the same thing now, right? They're bringing a card in, they're, they're looking at it, either uh, a person's look at it or AI is looking at it, and then they're, they're placing a grade on it and putting it in a slab. Um, in terms of, of service, I think that's where it, it differentiates these companies, right? Mm -hmm. In their slabs, because I think that, what do you think that they're, uh, we're looking at uh, in terms of slabs in the next couple of years. So we think we're going to see better slabs, uh, uh, more affordable slabs, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I definitely think that's, you know, where these companies can be opportunistic. Um, you know, I mean, what there was, the numbers we posted, you know, there's 15 million cards that were graded last year, roughly. Um, yeah, which is unbelievable. Right? <laughs> As a collector, I never thought I'd see that. Did you? 
No, it's a massive number. And I think it's really interesting to think about, you know, if you take a step back and just think about, again, why are people grading cards? You know, what realistically should the market be sort of pushing through or pumping through the, you know, the grading ecosystem? And I, and I don't know what that true number is. And I think a lot of that is because we don't know sort of the benefits outside of resale value. And so I do think if, you know, there's going to be pressure for these companies like PSA who, you know, want to see this market grow to think about innovation, you know, how do they sort of, again, enhance the whole sort of, um, collecting experience, whether that's sort of introducing, you know, horizontal slabs, or I'm really big on the idea of sort of, you know, people always push back or, well, or I shouldn't say always, but occasionally will push back on pop reports and just say, you know, we've got all these issues with cracking and stuff. And, you know, if there's more technology that can be built into the slabs or just the way that these, these cards are processed, I think there's opportunities for provenance and things like that to enter into the, the equation where it's, you know, cards may become more valuable because of the sort of like um, chain of custody that they've had over the years and people who have, sort of uh, been collecting those cards and then how they've sort of been passed along over the years. I think that could add value. Anyways, I think there's like small and sort of incremental steps that grading companies can take to uh, enhance the experience. And some of this is just feedback to, you know, I think part of this is, you know, somebody might push the envelope as it relates to what's, what does it look like to actually do graders notes at scale? Or what do we do to sort of increase transparency around the process? Um, I don't know what's going to sort of be sort of the highlight of the next couple of years, but I do think now that pricing is is sort of leveled out and, you know, that the operational challenges are behind most of the companies that we'll see some exciting sort of innovation, or at least we'll see opportunities for these companies to explore. And I think the biggest the biggest thing that I hope is that this is a this is a hobby that I've learned quickly over the last few years is sort of, um, you know, skeptical by default. And I I'm, I'm like to think that there's a little bit more tolerance for people to try things and sort of a little bit more open mindedness around you know, just what would it look like, you know, give these, give these companies opportunities to sort of explore different spaces without sort of jumping down their throats, given like, you know, what the sort of, you know, historical precedent has been for, for certain um, ways the hobby is behaved. And so I'd like to think there's more of a willingness and sort of openness for, for these companies to try things, because I think it'll be beneficial for everybody. You know, we've heard the the rumblings of a downturn in in the hobby in terms of some of the the, the values have been coming down. Uh, are you seeing that in grading numbers as well, in terms of less less cards getting graded or different types of cards getting graded? Uh, you definitely see that with base cards, for example. Uh, I was looking at you know I haven't done it across all the data that we have. There's just too much data, but uh, I look at uh, 2019 Prism as sort of a proxy for overall market trends. And what what I mean by that is. You know, there was like 600 and some thousand 2019 prison basketball cards graded over the last couple of years. Massive number, um, you know, blows away most, you know, most of the highest graded sets by, you know, two or three X prior to that, uh, with the exception of, uh, of some recent Pokemon activity. Uh, but what you see now, but anyways, half of that number is base cards. So, you know, over, you know, 300,000 of those cards are base cards from that set. And now you look at 2020 and 2021 prison basketball, for example, and you're only seeing 60,000 and 30,000 cards that have been, you know, pushed through the system. And, and the majority of those are not base cards, which is important. So for, for one, you're seeing base cards. People have come to understand that they're just not really what people thought they were a couple of years ago. You know, there is liquidity behind them, but there's just not the, the sort of landing spot for base cards in the long run. Um, I do think, though, the volume has really held well now the pricing is, is corrected. Mm -hmm. I don't know sort of how sustained that is, though, without there being, again, sort of the, the secondary market reflecting, you know, some strength in pricing or sort of at least some stabilization there. Um, you know, the other thing that's really happening in sort of the background here is that TCG has really taken off. And I'm I'm slightly concerned that 
trading cards and Pokemon are going through their own little bubble in the sense that, you know, they're maybe lagging what happened in sports cards by some period of time. And then, you know, we may see uh, a slowdown there, which will which will be interesting to see, because that's definitely been uh, a big part of what has helped sort of push the grading numbers forward in 2022. And I don't know how much of that momentum or sort of how long that mo momentum carries into 2023. So it'll be interesting to see, but definitely we see, you know, signs of, you know, slowing um, momentum. But I also think one of the things that's happened and hard to sort of um, wrap my head around or sort of explain is like dilution is one of the things that I think is sort of um, not commonly discussed. But what I mean by that is, you know, the, I think that the market's actually fairly healthy in a lot of ways in the sense that if you look at individual players, I think as a collective, um, the whole market for a player is actually pretty strong. For example, you know, the Mickey Mantle market as a whole is pretty strong, or, sure. but that's the, or the, you know, more, more, the ultra modern is where you see a lot of concern or the modern. And I think what, what you see there is, for example, a Zion Williamson, a Luca, um, uh, a Burrow, their markets are actually pretty strong, but you have so many cards out there now that when you look at prices relative to prior years, you have more, um, cards that have been printed for that specific set, you have more sets to choose from. And so, you know, as a whole, if you sort of roll them up into a, a market cap for a player, for example, it'd be pretty strong. But when people look at it as sort of this market cap for cards individually, you know, you see that they pull back a lot. And I think there's a lot of pressure that just comes from the overprinting that's been done here. And also just the the array of options, you know, you can be a, you can be a Luca collector, be really happy because there's just so many cards out there to choose from. And it's not sort of this consolidated demand that you saw with, with that you see with vintage or even cards in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties, uh, where there just wasn't nearly as many options until the junk, junk wax era. And so I definitely think the, the market is given a little bit of a head fake by looking at individual card prices and not by looking at sort of, uh, uh, individual players and sort of the, the market for those players as a whole. So I, I'm sort of a little bit of a contrarian just in the sense that I actually think the market's a bit stronger. And I do think that's sort of um, validated by some of what you hear in the sense that, you know, participation is really strong in the hobby. It's just people have sort of um, reset sort of where they're playing in the hobby. They're not playing nearly as much in sort of the thousand dollar plus card level. They're much more in the, hey, what do I do to just build a, a, a collection that I'm proud of? And that tends to be, you know, more of the 50 or 25 or $5 cards. Yeah. And it's still really strong. So I think participation as a as a proxy is really good right now. I just think that it looks different when you're sort of looking at individual card prices, which is definitely like you know a, a snowball rolling down the 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 hill in the wrong direction. So we'll see. But I'm I'm much more optimistic than a lot. I think on sort of the direction of the hobby right now. You know, I always get asked, and I'm sure you do too, is what is when what when should i grade my card what is the value level is it you know is it a ten dollar card or, or mm -hmm. greater is it a hundred dollar card or greater you know you 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 kind of have a good handle on what's been going through the these grading companies what what would you recommend if someone said hey you know i got all these cards but what card what should i get graded yeah i mean look personally i can just mostly speak to my personal sort of approach to this which is you know i i grade cards where I used to grade cards where I knew if it, if it got it graded and it graded a PSA nine, I wasn't going to lose or, or just a nine or a mint grade across any grading company. Um, I wasn't going to lose money on that, you know, on that transaction. Now it's hard to do because just the raw pricing reflects sort of uh, the condition of the card a lot of times. And also you've just, you've seen compression in the multiples, you know, the, the three X or four X or five X that you were seeing in a, a gem mint card versus a mint card has yep. sort of compressed for me personally, you know, I, I'm just of, of the mindset of, if you think it would look 
better in a slab and you want to protect it for the long run, I think it's worthwhile to grade. I think if you're grading it for value purposes, you really do have to th consider sort of, you know, what are the, I did what the reason the company was named Gemrate is I was looking at the gem rates for specific cards. I wanted to know what was the likelihood if I sent the card in, you know, how, what are my odds of getting a gem mint card back across any of the grading companies? Does that vary by different parallels or different varieties of cards? Uh, and you definitely have to take that into play. And so it's definitely a more data-driven approach. And that's definitely one of the reasons we brought Gemrate to market. Um, I think you definitely have to sort of go go into it, though, with the mindset of, you know, the quality is not as strong as it used to be. So you're seeing a lot of QA issues. You're going to, more likely than not, with a lot of cards that you send in, not get a gem mint grade. And what does that mean for you? And if that if that's okay, then if you're okay with sitting on cards for, or, you know, some period of time, then you can you can push it a bit harder on the grading standpoint. But you know if you're grading it for sort of profit purposes, it's a lot harder to do today. So I think you just have to be collect. You know that's why I say all the grading companies are sort of available to me as it relates to where I grade my PC because yep. you know there's certain cards I like better in different slabs, and you know that's sort of one of the main things that I think about now. It's not always uh, you know what would this look like if I tried to you know uh, post this on eBay and see sort of what kind of um, you know, demand or interest that would generate. So I definitely think it's a much more considered approach that you have to have grading. I think it's also just, you know, you have to think about, you can't move cards as easily. So if you get stuck with a card that comes back as a, as a mint nine or whatever, if you're into other eras and it's not, you know, it's a grade that you're not really happy with, you know, it's not as easy to move and you have to be comfortable sort of sitting and holding and, and wanting that card. And so I definitely think there's a, it's a different equation. Um, and you know that's just sort of the the state of the, the state of the grading today, in my opinion. Out of the four major companies, is there an and I'm going to use this in quotes easy grader? You know, remember when we were in school, we always wanted the teacher that was the easy grader. Is it is there an easy grader, or are they all kind of pretty similar? You know, I think it's interesting, and I think this is one of the the things that I love to see when we post some of our data because you know everybody has their narrative, and this has just been more sort of. Um, you know, data for people to sort of support their their biases or sort of where they sort of their loyalties lie. Uh, and you'll every time I post the data every month, you'll see people go to bat for their company and be like, see, the Gemrate data says this or the Gemrate. And I'm like, well, OK, I mean, there's always sort of the other right. side. Of the yeah, and, you know, Ryan, you can have the data say whatever you want to say. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. So I think but it is it is interesting. And I think the most important thing that people have sort of come to realize with this, you know, the grading scale matters. And, and by that, I mean, you know, there are a lot of. Um, for example, to answer your question directly, BGS is probably the easiest company to get a, a gem mint card because they have the most leniency as it relates to you can have a min nine five with, you know, some flaws and it just opens up more cards that might be a PSA nine at, you know, or, or, or nine at PSA or might be a nine five at CSG or SGC. Uh, it just allows them you know, those, you know, for example, CSG and SGC, you know, they have a little, they have sort of an easier out to say, well, it's not quite gem mint by our standards. So we'll throw it in this nine five category. So um, what you see there is just more cards end up being gem mint at Beckett, for example. So I don't know that they're necessarily an easier grader, but their gem mint category just covers a little bit of a broader spectrum of cards. And so I think they all, I honestly think the most important thing is consistency and you rarely hear it talked about, but you know, that's the thing that I think matters the most. Um, and so I think, you know, whether or not a certain grader is easier or not, I mean, it certainly matters. And I definitely think that there's some randomness to this process for sure. And subjectivity that, you know, is a challenge to navigate. Um, I think ideally though, you know, even if, again, let's say for example, BGS was by the data, uh, the most, uh, 
you know, handing out the most gem mint cards, as long as they were the most or consistent with that, I think that's fine. And I think people would be better suited or know what to make of that. Uh, but I think right now, the thing that people, for example, struggle with with PSA is just, it's really hard to know. You really have a hard time understanding. You could, you could have sent in a thousand cards, you know, or a hundred cards, 10 different times over the last year. And you'd have a hard time knowing sort of what you're going to get back on any one of those given 10 right. submissions, just because of the, the timing of the market sort of, you know, they're onboarding a lot of new graders. You know, my sort of hypothesis here is that PSA has been sort of rounding down when they're grading these days, because, you know, they're just on the hook for more cards that are sort of under, under the scrutiny of their guarantee. And so I think when sort of push comes to shove, you know, they want to be sort of conservative with grades as opposed to aggressive. And I think there's, you know, people sort of will wrap that up under pop control narratives, or people, you know, will even speak to the conflict of interest of they want, why wouldn't they want to grade it higher, because there's upcharges and all these different things to consider. And ultimately, I think that the, the grading numbers reflect just, you know, you have a lot of new entrants into the hobby, not just from a submitting standpoint, but also from a, a grader standpoint. And so anyways, I, I just want to raise the flag that I think um, the grading scale matters. And I also think, you know, hopefully more of the conversation shifts to consistency over the next couple of years. I do think ultimately that's what really will help people just make better decisions. Uh, and also, you know, just a better way to hold the grading companies accountable for, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is, you know, trying to offer up a fair opinion and, and try to um, eliminate as much subjectivity as possible in the process. You know, what notes uh, I love about your site is that, the, you know, you can break down and find individual players and see where the, the trends are in these players. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. A guy like Wanda Franco, who never, no one ever heard of a year ago, he becomes a, one of the lead guys. And then, you know, Zion Williamson and, uh, you know, uh, Julio, Julio Rodriguez now. And uh, mm -hmm. I think it's really the tip of the iceberg, right? Because you guys, you guys are, are, are saying, okay, who's popular just by how many cards are getting submitted to get graded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great proxy for sort of just where where sort of interest is sort of emerging. Uh, I, I actually find it. So one, I find it super interesting for that standpoint of just, yeah, like how much momentum is there behind some of these emerging players, you know, a Wander Franco, Julio Rodriguez, uh, and, and sort of where is the market moving within that too? Are there certain cards that people are gravitating towards? Are there and also as a as somebody, you know, if you are in it from more of an investment standpoint, it's important to look at just to say, hey, where are there sort of more cards coming out of the market faster than I expected? Or maybe it's slower than you expected. Maybe you can be a little bit more patient with sort of how you think about moving cards, but it definitely helps you just get a sense for yeah, you know, for especially emerging trends as it relates to what cards are being graded. Um, I love that. And personally, one of the things I find the most interesting because I look at this data every day and every week is, you know, where are there like oddball pockets of, you know, interest, which is, you know, yeah. sometimes you see a submission with 100 cards that are totally off the radar. And I'll be like, whoa, that's really interesting. I never expected to see like an SI for kids card show up at that sort of volume. But, it, you know, you have these, you know, these collectors who have really interesting angles on sort of just like what they want to sort of um put their flag in the ground as sort of a, you know, a marquee or flagship card for a player, or just an opportunity to sort of, you know, a card that may be underappreciated to get it graded and sort of uh, put, add it to their collection or maybe put it into the market. But anyways, you see all these interesting sort of subcultures or sort of like um, areas and genres that people focus on that are not necessarily, you know, what you might hear in the mainstream uh, narrative every day. So it definitely highlights sort of the big picture ma macro level as it, as it relates to players. But then there's also sort of these, all these little, um, you know, interesting sort of pockets in the in the in the hobby that you also get exposed by looking at this data. But definitely, 
the player data is one of the things that I, I think is most exciting on Gemrate, just in the sense of it's a great starting point. Most of people that visit the site honestly visit the player data because they want to understand, hey, I'm interested in looking at, you know, it could be a vintage, you know, uh, somebody from, you know, the 60s that they want to look at and understand sort of what is their, uh, cult, you know, their their card landscape look like, you know, what was their, you know, their, their rookie card look like? What are, are there other marquee cards of that player that have been graded a lot? Um, you know, in today's world where there's, you know, thousands of cards issued every year for a player, you know, just again, how sort of rare or scarce is a card in, in the market. And so people use it as a starting point when they want to get a sort of a, a, a sort of a just an understanding of a player's market. And they also use it sort of as at the other end of the spectrum, if they're they're closer to making a transaction, just doing a bit of a sanity check to say, hey, what does this look like uh, from an overall population standpoint? What does it look like across different graders? What does it look like across sort of other marquee cards for that player or other players of sort of similar stature. So it's definitely the, the player stuff is the thing that definitely gets the most interest because it's just it's hard to sort of see that's that kind of data in aggregate, uh, which was one of the reasons I was really excited to bring that to market. It's just not that easy to find today. Do you ever think we'll see a uh, similar site uh, from you, I'm saying, uh, <laughs> for uh, card production in terms of getting a pr uh, production numbers from Panini and Fanatics and, and, and Tops and uh, leaf do you think we'll ever see something you know so that you know okay there were 1.2 million wander franco cards printed and now we, we know that 300,000 of them graded and do you think we'll ever see that uh that's a good question you know i definitely think there's an opportunity for more collaboration within within the hobby and so i think that's definitely on the table uh I think that, you know, not only are the grading companies sort of getting their ducks in the road the last few years, but also the manufacturers have had to do that too. You know, there's just been a higher standard that's sort of been put in place and sort of, again, a lot of companies were caught off guard by sort of the momentum here. And now that it's sort of corrected, you know, there's also this, it, you may have even seen like an overcorrection and that people have sort of staffed up certain areas of their teams that are just not as relevant as they were two years ago when sort of things were peaking. Um, I do think though, as a result of it, people are hopefully sort of more keen to the idea that um, better data leads to more confidence and more confidence will hopefully lead to, to more transactions and more participants. There is a pretty strong barrier to entry as far as just uh, knowledge and sort of what you need to sort of accumulate to feel some sense of, you know, comfort in this industry. And so I do think that there's an understanding that, hey, better data will facilitate just more tooling, more information, an easier understanding. So I'd like to think that, yes, I think that uh, you know, you saw some of this with some of the moves that fanatics have made. There's some, you know, there's interest in increased transparency and to the degree that there's a way for us to consume that data, uh, and sort of make it available in a, in an integrated fashion, we certainly would be on board with that. I think in lieu of that, or sort of until that happens, you know, people definitely use the generate data to understand just, you know, if you look at base cards and then you look at other cards relative to base cards, for example, you can start to estimate print runs off of the generate data. It's by no means perfect. And it's, you know, very much directional, but at least you can get a sense for, okay, we'll see 50 base cards before we see one of these, you know, non-numbered refractors that have been put into the market. And so it starts to help you sort of just like think about what could print runs look like. Um, but I would love for that to be some, a data set that's made available. And yeah. I think in general, you know, you even have a hard time getting checklists, right? And so to get a checklist is sort of a, a major <laughs> ask today and to get print runs would be a dream, obviously, or at least, you know, some some information that helps you sort of better assess it. But yeah, I think I think the first starting point was just how do we sort of get uniform checklists so companies can start, you know, one of the biggest things we're working on in the background is sort of this universal pop report. And the yeah. biggest challenge is everybody uses different conventions for the same card. And it's how do we start to sort of at least get everybody talking and speaking the same way? Uh, and checklists is a big part of that. And so 
uh, hopefully we can get that established. And then, you know, print runs is on, is on the, the wish list for sure, the want list, but for it to the degree it becomes available, we'd love to, we'd love to make it available on our site. Is there a, a fifth wheel that traders stepped up to the table with the four leading grading companies? And do you track any other, uh, other any other companies, uh, any of the other grading companies? Not yet. Uh, anecdotally, I'll, I'll keep track of them, you know, and if the market sort of pushes us to say, hey, can you add this to Gemrate? We've got the infrastructure to add a company within, you know, uh, a week, if not days sometimes. And so I think, for example, um, you know, if TAG were to have a lot of momentum or um, HGA, FCG, um, you know, arena club if any of these companies were sort of to emerge you also have honestly you have international companies that reach out to us and say hey we'd love to be included in the gemrate data and we don't we don't want to add noise right now we're sort of trying mm -hmm. to make sure the data is trusted and, and and the biggest thing is honestly we don't get the data directly from any company one of our sort of uh you know philosophies or sort of just approaches to this has been you know we want to consume what the public sees not get a direct feed from the companies that isn't publicly available because we want to be able to explain sort of the trends behind the data so that's why we leverage the pop reports you know companies have offered up sort of hey we can give you our grading numbers every day you know they're slightly different than what you publish but they're generally like pretty close but it's just we can give you our numbers instead and i'm not really um i just don't get excited by that because i can't explain the data and there's also just subject you know it leads it lends itself to more manipulation, not to say that the companies would do it, but there's just more opportunities for companies to sort of take advantage of that scenario. And so the pop report is really important to us consuming the data and, and sort of being able to explain it and then also being able to have the public verify it, right? Like everything that we publish, you can go look at the pop reports. You can generate stores the data every day for every company that we follow. So you can go look at this data and any given point in time that we have started following the data. Um, we call that replay on site, but you can basically go back in time and look at what this data looked like for the companies when we started collecting it. So for us to onboard other companies, they just have to have a, a, a pop report that essentially is, you know, consumable in a sense that it's, um, you know, it's, and, and uh, some of these newer companies are still trying to establish that, you know, we, we picked up CSG and CGC this year, and people have been asking for that for a little bit of time prior to that, but we couldn't do anything with it because their pop reports weren't live. The, the day those pop reports went live though, we were able to, pick up the data and start to run with it. And, and it was really valuable. And I think the company themselves, they find it valuable to have to your point earlier at the beginning of this conversation. You know, it just, it helps people level set to understand where they're at, um, understand yep. where they have momentum. And it just starts to help people factor where they fit into the, the equation today. So we would definitely be on board with um, adding other graders if the market calls for it. But the biggest part of it is just the data has to be in, in good enough shape for us to make sense of it. Very cool. We are talking to Ryan Stuzinski. Hopefully I got that right, Ryan. I'm, <laughs> he is the founder of gemrate.com. If you want to go down the rabbit hole and check out gemrate.com, it has all the grading statistics that you could spend hours on. Uh, you get, I get lost in there sometime. Uh, he also has a free new, newsletter, e-newsletter. So if you want to sign up for that, just go to gemrate.com and sign up for their free newsletter. Uh, it's an e-newsletter and I get it all the time. It's a, it's a great email. He, he, I, well, he, he sends out a couple of times a week it's it, we, I, I think we get I, I i always my mailbox is always full with germ rate stuff so i really appreciate that he's also uh, on social media all the social media on twitter instagram facebook follow them they uh they print uh weekly reports monthly reports uh sometimes even daily reports um you know we're following he follows psa sgc uh s uh cgc and um Beckett. So we got them all the fit, the four big companies. He's fought, he follows them. Um, and it's just great. It's, it's great statistics. It's, it's great stuff to, to think about. And, uh, you know, if you're looking to get your card graded guys, now's the time, right, Ryan? 
yeah, it's definitely much better than it was up up until you know, or as as recent as as good as it's been in the last few years. And you know, I think there's a twenty twenty three is going to be interesting, but it's definitely time to get those cards in order and get the submissions ready because I think you're going to see a lot of pricing specials. I agree. Thank you for your time, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, we can catch up with you uh, a little later later in the year and and look at uh, all these great numbers. Yeah, thanks for giving me an opportunity. Big fan of the show. Appreciate having a chance to uh, talk a little bit about what we're doing. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Ryan, Ryan and Gemrate, Gemrate.com. If you're not following them on social media and if you haven't visited this site, check it out. Uh, we have wrapped up our, our first one-on-one show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, on Saturday's show, we have Jarrett Leahy. Jarrett Leahy is a super Boston Celtic collector. We're going to talk to Jarrett about his collection and about uh, Boston Celtics collectibles. We also have Les Wolf on. We're going to do a little uh, listener mail and some uh, hobby happenings with Les. That's coming up on Saturday. We have all our regular segments on Saturday, including Baker's Dozen, Les Wolf, more from Les, Collector's Corner with Jared Leahy. Uh, we'll have our Making the Grade. We'll have a TTMcast stamp approval. We'll have the Vern Rap Minute. We'll review our returns and we will have a, a contest. I'm going to raffle off another three pack from our of, uh, autographed pictures, five by seven autographed pictures from our friends at 757. So tune in next Saturday. I want to wish everyone many happy returns. We'll see you on Saturday.